Ladies and gentlemen, this is The Important Nobodies with Mark Morrell, Dietrich Davis, episode number 32. Oh, wrong show, brother. Oh, this is Wrestlers <laughs> with Experience, episode number 32. But if you want to listen to a show that is intelligent, disrespectful, and, and, and goes against your social justice warrior awareness, if you are one, or if you are a millennial with emotional issues and don't know how to balance it yet, in our time we call those emos amongst us Generation Xs. Then you can tune in to The Important Nobodies with myself, Dietrich Davis, Justin Maloney, and Daisha Hicks, Facts. where, we, where we, we argue, we... we, we we use facts instead of using millennial knowledge, uh, logic. Anyway. Oh, millennial logic. There's Just, a difference. Oh, millennial emotions. Millennial, oh, no. Millennial logic is, should I understand? Or you ask them. A, anyway. So yeah, let's keep going. Because yeah. so, I was getting into that mode. Because like, I know that face. And I know that look. I know that expression. Yeah. like When they get paused, when you ask them a question that they have to really think about, <laughs> instead of having a predetermined answer like a microwave dinner. Yeah, that's them. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I was watching a um thing earlier on today, and I saw this lady um ask. You was a, watching um, a thing earlier on today on this thing. I was, okay, I was watching a video. <laughs> right, right. On YouTube. On YouTube. <laughs> there you go. From CNN, and they were asking. They asked this um these college students. Oh yes, I know what you're talking about. And a young lady asked her about Trump, and she paused and went yeah. full blown retard. Yeah. See, that's what happens when you get a microwave dinner. And you put it on, and they tell you put it on six minutes, but you put six minutes, 30 seconds. That 30 seconds makes a whole difference in your dinner for the night. <laughs> How many times have you put something in the microwave and, and gave it 30 extra seconds, fucked up, and was eating some basketball shit? Oh, damn. I remember soggy sandwiches, bro. Yo, just, you know, there's a level. Oh, uh, And I like a hot sandwich, but I don't like it that damn Yeah, soggy. yeah. It's just chills in the yeah. chewing gum, and then, you you know, you deal with it, but, you, but you're not full. Because you just ate it because you ain't want to waste it. Exactly. That's millennial logic. Okay. All right. So the, on today's episode, which is episode number 32, we are talking about The Undertaker's recent interview mm-hmm. with, um, I forget the guy, it's the guy from his church. Right. What is that gentleman's name? His name is Ed something. I can't, I know it was Ed, Pastor Ed. We're going to just call him Pastor Ed. Let's call him Pastor Ed. But they did the interview at his church. I guess in the ga- in the galls of his church or in the, in a certain area of the church that Undertaker attends, and it wasn't a religious interview. It was straight about his career, and Undertaker mentioned some pretty dominant fucking things that I've always felt. Mm-hmm. So I've uh, I missed my calling. Got it, Pastor was, Ed Young. There you go, Ed Young's uh, YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. It's a great interview. And when you realize he's a part of that church, you understand how he got the interview. Because in reality, Undertaker don't do interviews. Sure, so don't. So that's something that I thought was dope. He And, and if he is going to do one, I know it's going to be the Stone Cold Podcast more than anything. You right. know. Because, um, you know, this nigga said you know 300 to 500 times in one interview. But we will not make fun of him if we are not labeled as bad actors. You know. Yeah. <laughs> that's the last one. But anyway. You know. You know. So, um, <laughs> if anybody's seen this interview, Undertaker said you, but you, you know, that's a sovereign thing. Yes, it is. If you go up in the South, you know that they say you know. And I wasn't saying you know, <laughs> you know, but you know, he, you knowed you to death. And then it started uh-huh. became a, a coming a thread on the, what's it called? The people said, I'm making you know shirts right now. But um, here's the catch somebody else does that also. Yeah. Uh, Bruce Pritchard does that. Bruce Pritchard does that. So does um Jeff Jarrett's dad. 
Jeff Jarrett himself. Jerry Jarrett does it a lot. Jeff Jerry and um, what's his name does the same shit, you know. Um, we just Jim Cornette. Jim Cornette does it. Them sovereign. I mean, if you've been to the South, you hear that. Especially if you've been to like those Louisiana, like Tennessee, the Tennessee's, and, the and, Texas. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Alabama. Right. So that's all it is. But we're not going to do that no more. We killed it because I don't want to, you know, our show to death, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Let's for real not do it, though. <laughs> all right. You ready? Yeah. So I want to. Um, great interview. The, all right. fir- the first thing I wrote down about 10 points worth of notes. And then also we're going to follow up with what Kevin Nash said because all of this kind of happened at the same time. And right. It's funny how the older guys right now, Universal Thought is coming out. But most importantly, what I want to start with is that it's funny how everybody has a uncanny respect for Mark Henry. And he talked about how Mark Henry moved his car and this, that, and the other. And I thought that was kind of dope just to get that out the way. And he also talked about how Andre the Giant thought like if he would have healed up, yeah. that him and Undertaker would have had something. So whatever the idea was that was in his head to do with the Taker, it never got done because Andre died before he could tell him right. what it was. And, <clears throat> and Tim White didn't know because he's Tim the one who White drove didn't know. Taker around. Vince didn't know. Mm-hmm. He just had it in his head. And this was this was in um, Taker's mind all these years. And mm-hmm. to visualize Andre, Taker in a match... That would have been dope. That yeah. would have been a, that yeah. would have been the passing of the torch, the phenom of the sixties, seventies, and eighties, for the phenom of and who the knows, era. it might not have even been that. It could have been anything. You never know what Andre was thinking because he kept it to himself. Mm-hmm. But I think that was dope. I think he, um, the Undertaker, has one of the greatest and most solid careers ever put together on a gimmick, yeah, that wouldn't have worked with anyone else. Yeah, I think Vince, you know, he he now he now picked that Undertaker cowboy, that 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 Dead Man's Redemption, mm-hmm. um, physical and looking theme on it. He 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 does look like a menacing character, and yeah. he still is a menacing character. You just wish, like the Undertaker said, that he would have got one of those buses, because if he would have got a bus around night two thousand and one, he would have prolonged his career i think if vince would have just say okay we'll broker for the bus undertaker will be but be at a part-time schedule right now mm-hmm. wrestling wrestling at an alarming rate because you look at guys like christopher daniels who's 49 years old going on 50 and yep. that motherfucker can go and rick flair went on mm-hmm. until his uh, late 60s until right. he couldn't do it no more Lutez has done it in his 70s yeah but those men were broken down though but Vern, imagine if undertaker would have got that fucking Vern, bus Vern Gagne, yeah i mean a lot of a lot of guys terry funk to this day still going and like dory funk to well, this terry day still funk, going well what i mean still going not going broken going but, excellent wise right Terry, Dory, Tor, Terry Funk cannot go anymore. He forces himself, but he is a horrible wrestler now. It should have ended right after he left WWE. Well, as, as uh, Chainsaw Charlie, <laughs> and his last choke slam should have been when he got choke slammed next to Mick Foley at Hell, Hell in a cell. cell. Right. Um, but his brother still goes. But I mean, and they need to stop. I mean, he every now and then when they do do like the, an anniversary for mm-hmm. the. Um, World Tag League for All Japan Pro Wrestling, uh, they call the funks over there. Right, yeah, it's crazy. And it's so sad that they need to stop doing that to those old men. But when, you, when you're when trying to sell a ticket, you're trying to sell a ticket, right? And people love nostalgia. Yeah, which is sad. Um, Actually, 
Nostalgia is not working for WWE no more, sure, as we lean. know. Right. The Nostalgia Act is uh, fucking shit up. Oh yeah. But, but let's get back. Let's get as you would say. Let's get into the meat and potatoes of this. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing I like that the Undertaker said, and this made me think a lot about when we were wrestling on the indie scene and shit, was that um, you guys were inspired by Bret Hart a lot. Yeah. So there was a some of you, a bunch of you, who all wore the singlet and shit like that. And I'm not mm-hmm. putting you guys in this category, but he mentioned something, how everyone was copying someone when something works. And I think when a lot of wrestlers get on, they're very subconscious about their bodies, their chest, their stomachs, their thighs, their buttocks. So the way to cover it is to put on a black singlet. And Bret Hart, who was very subconscious about himself, um, guys who was in that, they all threw the singlets on. Mm-hmm. The so, singlets in the long tights. The singlets in the long tights. And it was hard to separate people. Not for me, but it's hard to separate when everyone's copying each other. And he made a point that everybody, you know, when something's hot, everybody's trying to replicate it. And at one point, after Steve Austin, we had at least 60 Steve Austins working for the WWE. When yeah. everybody was trying to be themselves, turned up when they don't realize it was a character that he saw on an HBO documentary that he turned the volume up on but took the murderous strain off. Right. Um, like you, I remember people thought I was cop. And when I did the stunner, that was Chris's idea. Right. That was Chris's idea. I, I didn't even know that. Yeah, I never wanted to do the stunner. I always wanted to do the razor's edge. And Chris wanted to do the razor's edge. And he didn't want me to- and so I started doing the raises that just to make Chris mad on purpose. Fucking Chris. But I've always, <laughs> so for me, like when we watched the match with me doing it the other day, uh, Marty in one day let me raise an edge. I mean, I still have the footage, I think over 60 times just so I can get the balance right and the timing right. Mm-hmm. So that was going to be the original finisher. Right. And Chris was like, well, you got a knee brace, do the stunner. He goes that, and you know, I would do it as a joke, and then that's when it stood. I love the stunner. Mm-hmm. It's a universal move. I think it's an excellent move. And then I modified it slightly, me and Chris worked on. But the original thing for me was the razor's edge because okay. I always liked the cross. I just didn't like, um, I didn't drop to my, you've seen it. I didn't drop yeah. to my knees with it. I literally <laughs> threw the person, mm-hmm. drove and threw the person as politely as I could. But um, but the, there is the, like, I say that there is a, do you know, ever know that there's a giant copying in wrestling? Yeah, and it is. We never get an original. I'll, I'll be honest with you because everyone borrows from everything. everybody from everything. It's, mm-hmm. this is the one sport that you can just take bits and pieces of what a person is doing and make it your own. Mm-hmm. For example, well, no, all sports do that because even yeah. in the NBA, we all, got guys all sports, who copy that's, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm, Dr. J, for example, to me, Copy. was the motherfucking man. Right. Jordan got a lot of his shit from him. Mm-hmm. Kobe got a lot of his shit from Jordan. Uh, who's the hot motherfucker right now in the NBA right now? LeBron. Le- okay, LeBron, Stephon Curry. They all get their shit from. Yeah, they all get their shit from one another. So I and but the, I want to. But the seeds are dropped in there. Go to Dr. J. Once one person dunked, they all dunked. So right. Dr. J saw someone else dunk, and then it followed around the United States, and mm-hmm. it, it was everything. I say that I have a, a great reference when I, I always talk about people. And as I put reference, Steve Austin and Michael Jordan here. Um, Steve Austin was definitely copy as if Ric Flair's long hair mm-hmm. and the RF on the boots was copied. Yep. And, you know, everyone copies everyone. Mm-hmm. I'm going to use Jordan for an example. Jordan took, it seemed like Jordan um, naturally wanted to be a baseball player. Yeah. And he took pieces and he 
just wasn't good at it, as mm-hmm. we know. Then he played basketball, right? And he took pieces of a little, maybe he took pieces of a little bit of everyone. It takes him to say it, and then we get Jordan. But what we end up having is at what we have now in the NBA are two hundred Michael Jordans. Everybody has literally copied and duplicate Michael Jordan. So we we never got that one great player for a long time because everyone was a replica of mm-hmm. that, right? Because and, Jordan mm-hmm. was the was the uh, the stamp. For professional ba- for wrestling, professional basketball, basketball excuse you know, me, for yes. basketball, for um, for a lot of a lot of us coming up, mm-hmm. you know, for the you know, and for the current generation of ball players now, Jordan was the centerpiece. But you you do know there was one wrestler who, run excuse me, one basketball player who changed everything, and he's the only person to cross Jordan, and that was Allen Iverson. Mm-hmm. And he was 100% opposite of Jordan. Right. And I think because Jordan knew he was going to end up dealing with his own replicas, he knew how to outsmart them. So in professional wrestling, we do have a lot of guys who copy, 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 and we don't get any originality. Originality, And that's kind of what WWE is lacking right now because we have fit, the NXT is a great system, but it's mm-hmm. pumping out. 50 of the same fucking wrestler. Yep. With the same falling on their back <clears throat> and the same move. You know, everyone bumps was different. Mm-hmm. Now everyone bumps the same. So it's like you're watching the same match over and over again. You don't get that variety as you used to. So you look at uh, Gorgeous George, right? Mm-hmm. The main wrestling personality that was flamboyant, mm-hmm. he set the key for... The Ric Flairs, the Buddy Landells, the Wildfire Tommy Riches, but the Gorgeous Shawn Michaels, George got his and all these from other people as well that he happened to just finalize in one package. He, but here's the deal: what George did was, George was more of a Luthez type wrestler. Mm-hmm. He was more of a journeyman, uh, mid card type guy. That's what he was back in the day, um, traveling guy. You know, mm-hmm. as far as like wrestling goes, but he wore a regular robe. He did this. He did that. Blah blah blah. The prototype to what Bob Backlund was. Mm-hmm. But what he did was he sat up with his wife, looked over some things, and was like, "Well, let me change this up. Let me curl my hair. Let me then blonde. Let me let me dye yeah. my hair blonde. Yeah, let I understand the whole thing. Yeah. And from there, pomp and circumstance, the perfume, and all these other things. Everybody from that point on in, after Gorgeous George becoming um, Gorgeous George. Everybody follows. But also there's a lot of undocumented wrestlers who had who had these over-the-top characters that only worked in territories that we never even got to seeing footage of. Right. And I remember someone has said it was it was it what's his name? He said somewhere that someone what you call it? That there's I think it was um Jim Cornette who said it best. There's just so much talent that we have not seen. That is just, you know, it's just, it is what it is. But Taker was right, and it's not a lot of originality. Mm-hmm. And even in character development, The Undertaker's character was so original that all he had to do was reference a cowboy film. Yep. And a cowboy film with the tent turned all the way down, and then that's what you got. Yeah. And um, like Madonna, The Undertaker, each if you take his face each year, it's a totally different wrestler in mm-hmm. the same skin and bones. Yep. And I think he's mastered that fucking art, and I think he's done it better than any wrestler in the history of the business. The best character actor, going in, as regarding Hollywood-wise, I think it was Lon Chaney. When it came down to horror movies, he mm. was the best because he 
became those characters. Like when Lon Chaney was Frankenstein, he was Frankenstein, but you didn't recognize him as the mummy, nor did you recognize him as the invisible man or or, or whatever. But now you touched you touched into my world. He wouldn't be labeled as a character actor. Okay. The guy who played Gollum would now be the world. Andy gra- Sarkis. He's now the world's greatest character actor. Mm-hmm. It, because he could be on the screen and not be on the screen. Yep. Even his little part in Avengers Two and on Black Panther, Black Panther, me, right? More mm-hmm. so Black Panther than anything. Um, Andy Serkis has been King Kong. Andy Serkis has been Gollum. Mm-hmm. He has been Planet of the Apes. So Andy Serkis and um, is would be labeled star, and, as, and one of them Star Wars characters too. Yeah. So that that's more of a character actor. This is a guy who was that guy you talk about. That gentleman you talk about was a main stable mate. And in Hollywood, a character actor is a guy who name you never remember. If you can remember that actor's name, then he's not a character actor. Wow. A character actor is a guy that you go, what's his name from that film? And it's actually a documentary about that. Mm-hmm. So character actors are names that we never remember. Right. Like the wrestling business, unfortunately, we have a lot of character wrestlers that we'll never remember. And they're thrown out there and they're put by the wayside. Mm-hmm. So I think people, I hope wrestlers watch that interview because right now, even in the WWE, I think we have a lot of dudes that are just pure replications with different names. Mm-hmm. And they're not really, they're, they're, the characters are developed, but the background is not there. Like you take Austin McMahon. Yep. Austin's body became very limited. Mm-hmm. Vince, we already know. But those two put on some of the greatest events, greatest spectacles. Right. And they did that with limited wrestling. Yep. And less was, is more. Less is more. And remember, I said to you, a wrestler doesn't become great. I said this on another podcast, and to, uh, earlier podcast, until they narrow their move set down to six to seven moves. Mm-hmm. And like Undertaker said, keeping this on the Undertaker because this episode is really about the Undertaker's interview. Undertaker said clearly, less is more. Yep, it's all character driven. It's one hundred percent all character driven. And when you think about it, Undertaker has six or seven moves, and he does yeah. it well. Versus you take someone like Ricochet. Ricochet's not going to last 20 years. Maybe he will. Let's not say that. Mm Because Christopher Daniels has lasted um, 20 years doing that same shit. But these guys are pushing themselves so hard that they are the kitchen sink that Jim Cornette talked about. Mm -hmm. You know, jumping the shark or, uh, you know, popping the territory, if you will, Mm -hmm. with uh, just with that heat in order to get over like how you said, the um, most American wrestling fans, or just most wrestling fans in general, the casual wrestling fan, you know, they're not, they're not aware of um, these things. But what Taker said, which stands out to me too, is how do you get over with the crowd? You have to get them emotionally in the palm of your hand. Right, which is the next note I was hitting, making yeah. them love you or hate you. That's something he brought up, which uh, is a uh, major part of that conversation. It's a lost, it's a lost art. We So again, we can agree... And this is not just in WWE. It's everywhere. Even in New Japan, even in ROH, we have a series of guys that are all 100% in between us. Mm-hmm. Do you understand that John Cena is the really the only face in the company? Yes, he is. Do you understand there are no heels in the WWE outside of Samoa Joe? Nope. Everybody else is an in but fucking tween it. And, and Triple H marketed this shit by saying, well, if you think he's bad, then he's bad. If you think he's good, then he's, he's good. good. Triple H lived his whole career being a fucking villain. Yep. 
the Daniel but, Bryan was the last face of the uh, the la- another face. Mm-hmm. He's a fucking good guy. When he went up against Triple H and the, and, the, and the what you call it, he's a what you call it. Before we know it, people are gonna start cheering Baron Corbin. Why? He's an in betweener right now. Mm-hmm. You don't fucking know. If you can have people wanting to chase you out of an arena with pitchforks. Uh, or stab you like your name is Piper. Throw battery acid at you. Want to pull guns at you? Shoot your car and you know, or you talk about we're gonna bomb your house like Sergeant Slaughter. Yeah. When he, when he was an Iraqi sympathizer in his WWF title run, if you can rile up those emotions, that's doing your job. If you can do shit like New Jack, where you can just you, piss you, off a bunch of rednecks and. Uh, NAACP type um, African Americans. Yeah, but because the social justice warrior sticker is so has so much glue on it that you no longer have those freedoms to do those things. Mm-hmm. And if they can still do it in movies, then they should still be allowed. And TV shows, mm-hmm. you still should be allowed to do it. We need a heel and a villain, not an in betweener. Right. And I go back to my notes again. When you look at the the development of the Austin McMahon story, there wasn't one moment that McMahon was a fucking good guy. Nope. This guy was a villain to the fucking end. And, and and even if he did switch for a little bit, he went right back to the core of, listen, I got you. I suckered you all in. Right. And then what happened? You got to remember, you know what Steve Austin is? He was the anti-hero's hero, as Undertaker uh, said. But Steve Austin is like villain. It's like, excuse me, it's like Venom. Right. Once he discovered and they began to work with each other, they did it. Steve Austin is the Venom character, but Undertaker would be purely Carnage if you guys read Marvel Mm -hmm. comic books and stuff like that. Yeah. And Vince, or more so Vince is more like Kingpin, you know. So Austin would work with you on a limited time and then he will hit you with a stunner. Yep. You know what I'm saying? He will betray you, and the fans accepted it. So he's one of the greatest anti-heroes mm-hmm. in professional wrestling. But I think also professional wrestling, and I think Undertaker would agree with me on this, and anybody who's watching this, and you may agree with me on this, is that you have to follow what's happening in the world today. Yeah, it has to be. everything has to be relevant. They you know? did it with Sergeant Slaughter, mm-hmm. the whole Iran war. What you, you need, you have Rusev there. Why aren't you pushing the Russian sympathizer? How do you say that word? Sympathizer. How do you? Why is it Rusev in that position? Why don't we have Jinder Mahal in that position? Yo, okay, so he might not be Arabic, but have him take on that his Asian and Indian brothers and Arabic brothers. He should be out there saying it doesn't matter what happens, what happens politically in the world. I need my people to see me when I get when and show them that I am the crown jewel. Mm-hmm. You should be pushing him to the limit and giving them what they need, right? In order to create the villain. And, and create a true villain. Jinder might have been the last heel left, but then they fucked that up. Yep. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, I don't mean to over-talk this section, but we, we you agree that there's a loss of character development yeah. and stuff like that. I mean, Dietrich, have you ever worked a match at a... Or I was always sh- a villain, let's okay. know that. Okay, cool. I never got to be a All face, right. ever. Okay, so let me ask you this, right? Have you ever had, um, like, fans want to just, like, beat the fuck out of you? You know what? End up, I made a mistake. I started selling T-shirts. Okay. And when I got out of when I got into the doghouse after I left um AIWA and I got over with the doghouse, I started selling shirts. And I didn't understand when they said, "Yo, you're going to make yourself a face." Mm-hmm. So I sold like 600 shirts over the course of a month. I didn't realize. You know, I did realize, but I didn't care cuz to me, it's like people like the people how many people wore a Darth Vader shirt? 
everyone has a Darth Vader shirt, with the exception of me. Yeah, I don't but, have one either. But you get what I'm saying? <laughs> right. You people love the bad guys. People want to. How many? Ric Flair was a villain of villains. If Ric Flair and them were selling shirts, it would have worked. But how many people showed up in suits like the Horsemen? A lot of people showed up. Right. In so suits. in my in my eyes, when I thought about flaring them and all of that shit. People are going to invest in the healing. Mm-hmm. A lot of indie guys wasn't selling merchandise in that time. To right. me, I know how to sell water to a well. Well, that's damn so good. So I was when when I got a thousand shirts printed, it was buy one get one free. I had no merchandise. Mm-hmm. I didn't take no pictures. A lot of people, you know what I, I mean. I did I that did, as I didn't, well. I didn't. I didn't do none none of that stuff. But when I wrestled as a heel, you know, I've had uh, junkies come at me. With their family members, leave a show, come back into a show that I'm still wrestling on, and they were ready to beat the snot out of me because I'm poking fun at the uh, at the woman. Mm-hmm. Didn't know that she was a junkie. You know what I love? But she was a junkie in real life. You know what I love? The indie fans are a little bit more aggressive than anything, especially the people who can't afford a WWE ticket. Word. And they want to buy a ticket. They they are very they are very much more more aggressive. Than mm-hmm. anything. Another thing that was touched on, um, guys not figuring out the business until they're out the business. And I was one of those people, I was told by Lombardi and them, mm-hmm. they said, you figured this out a little too fast. And we can't con you. And I remember a particular guy, I'll tell you his name afterwards, looked and realized he was being conned. Wow. On the rules and shit like that. And as we all know, deep, wherever I go, I break. I don't break all the rules. I just know I'm getting what I want to get done, done. And um, I did figure it out too fast. And I figured it out very young. And the first thing I knew was character development, merchandise, this, that. Um, my brother was already on Sony Records at the time. So to mm-hmm. us, when we had meetings, everything was about merchandise. Right. Um, when I worked... For Toys R Us, everything was about merchandise and licensing purchasing mm-hmm. and this, that, and the other. So imagine learning all of that by the age of 20, you know, and then to pay for wrestling, I stripped for a while. So imagine knowing that you have to merchandise your dick or just imagine knowing that you have to merchandise a body figure or this, that, and the other. So everything I did was, and then I, as you know, was around Young black teenagers, the rap group in them, mm-hmm. were born, first born in them, which is a great friend of mine. Taught right. me how to drive, taught me a lot of things. And the first thing that was always spoken to me about was merchandise. So imagine from the age of 14 All the way up to, to 20, of that, at that <clears throat> point, 2021, that you're taught merchandise, marketing, character development, and how to grab a fan. And I think a lot of guys didn't know that. No. And no one was teaching that to us when you were in the business. That's something you had to figure out on your own. Exactly. What for me was... When I was training guys, I would always tell them, don't fucking watch TV. When they should have been. Right. At they the should have been. Well, but the, I get, with, I get at, that at the mentality time Because at the I just time. felt like, you know, I felt like um, that wrestlers needed to learn to develop the craft themselves. Now, with me, when I got into it, yeah, I followed Bret Hart. Mm-hmm. And I followed Kurt Hennig and Arn Anderson. Those were, like, for me, my top three Wrestlers but see, too. you had to watch TV to follow that. Right. But you was telling them not to watch TV, which you was doing more damage than anything. Because at the time, when I was telling them to stop watching television, mm-hmm. that's when I got into the mind frame of, oh, fuck, you know what? I just need to be myself. Right. You could, and, and, the by, thing. and by me being myself was go to the gym and train, 
get in that mirror, practice interviews, write your own promos, or come up with your own promos and stuff like that, right. and develop your own wrestling style. So you can't do that without watching and consuming. Mm-hmm. See, so a person like me would tell a person, if you want to, um, I think you remember the young man who I was training, who yeah. was getting good. He was getting booked across the United States. He was doing very well for himself. And then I guess he had a child and then he stopped. Right. But, now, but the one thing, let me say this, the one thing I did tell him was watch everything. He yeah. was like, what? I said, yo, why, if you have an episode of Monday Night Raw that you love, watch that episode a hundred times. Be able to count yeah. out every nuances until you know the camera is going to switch before you know it. And he said to me, why did you say that? I said, you must be magnificently obsessed with it. And, and if you are not obsessed with it, yeah. you won't learn it. So I come from learning how to mat wrestle in Van Arsdale High School. Mm-hmm. And I had a, a wrestling teacher who was teaching us amateur wrestling. And he said straight up and down, you must be obsessed with this in order to master this. Yeah. And I, it was my obsession. So though we, you were, I would say you were obsessed with it too. Uh, but I, my obsession was different. But then but you didn't have a wrestling teacher, did you? I had a bunch of wrestling teachers. I mean, like one person you went to for years, like I did in high school. Well, the main person, like I, you know, I, I've dealt business with wrestling wise, training wise, was the Iceman Mike Hazardous, Mike Laracuente, right? Who's a good friend of good friend. I know, of ours. yeah, yeah, yeah. You I know, know exactly he, who you're talking about. Great he, man. He 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 stopped me from planting an elbow the the incorrect way on a dummy inside the gym, and mm. he's like, "Yo, you like, yo, you about to fucking knock the lining out this dummy." Plan it like this. Once right. he showed me how to plan it like that, I was like, okay. But also, you still was telling people not to watch the show, but which then, was dangerous. Right. But which now, was fucking up people. But then reality. Mike helped me change my mindset about mm. that. So then it became, all right, let me watch this. Let me watch so-and-so. Let me watch this, this, and the third. So when I would like prep for matches... Before, like the week before, or the week, or weeks before, months before, or even the day and a half before, I would sit up and I would watch Piper. I would watch Hogan. Mm-hmm. I would watch. So you um, was doing the same thing, guys. You was telling guys right. not to do. I, I was. I was watching Great Muda. I was watching all these guys. I, I watched everything. One thing I tell people: it's all right to consume everything because if you play professional football, you what's the one film. thing you're watching? You gotta Footage. Wa- yeah, you got to watch film. Me and Marty watched wrestling all day. We trained all day. We worked at the gym. We worked at Gold's Gym. We went mm-hmm. to the gym all day. Um, that was our obsession. We talked about wrestling, pancakes, steak, yeah. eggs, wrestle. We ate four times a day. Um, you saw the shape we was in. We ate four times a day. We didn't care. Mm-hmm. Though my body mass surpassed Marty's. Right. Marty has always had a big back. But I started pushing that 230, 240, 250. So I always knew, like everyone said when I was a kid, I was going to grow into that. 270 pound muscular person. Right. Um, I got a gut now, but and, which is burning off, thank God. But still, the point is, um, you did it. You, you, you got to be gotta, obs- gotta, right. You got to be magnificently obsessed with. You have it. to live it 24 hours a day. Well, no, I would tell a person wrestling is only going to equal one percent of your life. Right. But that one percent must be a dominant one percent because once wrestling is over, you got to figure out what you're going to do with the rest of your life. And a lot of guys don't know what to do because mm-hmm. a lot of people, ninety five percent of guys' wrestling careers will end before the age of twenty five. Right, and that's just off of not being able to make get booked and making. Mm-hmm. Um, the other three percent of guys will make it to the age of around thirty something, just based off of the locals and this, that, and the other. Right, point one percent will make it to the big boys and. Post and, 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 and post um, 
television exposure so that they can still get booked elsewhere. Right, and, and still there are limitations to that because life happens and you can't pay the bills unless you're in the big boy companies. Right. But um, going into the next thing Undertaker talked about, which is wrong, what we were talking about, is um, wrestling is imitation. And unfortunately, 95% of business, which I, this, is the, my, this is my percentage in my belief system, 95% of wrestlers are imitating Instead of they're imitating a wrestler, still instead of being a wrestler, and you have guys who love the business so much, but they don't technically understand the business, and they're not the business. And what you will learn is is that the wrestling part is only ten percent. Mm-hmm. The rest is the business in the back that gets you to the ten percent of performing. Right. And I was always a politician, and I think everybody should be a politician. Yeah, I remember you saying that. Yeah, well, like if you you know like if you're gonna be if, if you wanted to be world champion, you spoke up and said, "Listen, I want to be world champion." And I plan on doing this, 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 and this to get that title. And, and I want you to trust you me. me in, I'm the same you know, way. I want you to trust me as your world champion because of my reliability, mm-hmm. because of this and because of that. Well, we want to start you off this way. I was like, okay, cool, but I'm not taking nothing less than that. Right. That's what you said. That's what you know? I said. And I, I always said I have a line: "Give me the option to fail." Mm-hmm. And I want to go back to something here that Undertaker also said that about guys learning the business as they're almost out the business. I always feel they should not hire wrestlers until 30 for the big boy scene. Mm-hmm. Because you, three things you don't learn how to do until you wrestle. You don't learn how to you don't learn how to work until you work injured. I had a knee injury going into this. Right. We talked about that on another uh on episode um 30 I believe. When right. I, about we was watching the old match of me wrestling. I had a torn ACL and then ended up with a torn PCL in the other leg. Um it's not a, everyone thought I was doing it to imitate Austin. No, I was in legit pain, and only Moses knew because he went to the doctor with me one time. And he was like, "Wait, this shit is real." And then when someone did something to my leg, he was like, "No, no, wait!" And I, I kind of laid into the person really bad, mm-hmm. and I violated that person really bad. But they didn't understand that this is not a show thing, and a lot of guys don't learn until they're out the business. Yep. How many guys that we've seen in the WWE would have been masters of the game right now? Mm-hmm. If instead of, I think what NXT does is teaches them how to master the business. Right. And look at the undertaker. He got to live out. I think the wrestler is at his best when he's 40. Yeah. Look at Hogan. He was at his best in the NWO in his 40s. Yeah. Undertaker was a part-time, was full-time in his 40s. He was fucking phenomenal on SmackDown. Same, same thing with Sting. Same thing with Sting. Uh, we never got Steve Austin a little bit of. Brett definitely. Sean after the um the back injury. Look at the, look at the Rock's body after 40. Yeah. Looked 10 times better than he did in his whole fucking career. Yeah. John Cena's in his 40s. We're going to get the best John Cena mm-hmm. we ever did. And we was getting that with the United States title so yeah. you know I think for any guy who who's in our prime between between 35 and 45 this is the time that guys can get their bodies in shape and get back into the business because okay kayfabe will not be there but the information and the knowledge of wrestling is so there that right. fine tuning yourselves and getting back out there is the way to do it and we, we gotta understand WWE is not the only place to go it's not you know you can learn your craft anywhere like I, I take for example I look at I look at um look, I look at both homicide and low-key sure they had dark matches for WWE mm-hmm. sure they've um had um you know low-key had a WWE contract you know but 
Loki has over 20 plus years in his business mm-hmm. and he's world's champion for MLW. You know? Right. And this all coming from And a mind guy, you, he he left he didn't get fired from WWE. He left, he left WWE. Because he, he but Jim Cornette also calls him the world dumbest wrestler. Well, you know, opinion aside. You right, know what opinion I mean? aside. Opinion aside. He put that work in. He put the work in. You know what I mean? I had no idea that low key was gonna become who the fuck he is based on just from what I recall seeing back in like ninety six. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. with you know from our era, he wasn't a tryhard, as Undertaker said. Right. He was legit. He was he was not a tryhard. Loki was a, Loki. Exactly. You know, he's all all business inside that ring. Mm-hmm. Same thing with Homicide. Now Over does 20... he do good business? We don't know, but he but he does business. Right. Homicide has been at this thing twenty since years. We all started twenty in the plus same years, and it's like you look at him right now. The man is gonna fucking headline. Bound for glory in a, in a tag team title match. He's earned every moment. You know, and everything that he's ever done, it's all about doing doing what he does. And he had he had he needs had some great ass fucking teachers. One one in particular, um, Manny Fernandez, the Raging Bull, taught showed Homicide a lot. Mm-hmm. And in turn, Homicide then brought that to all of his guys at Doghouse. You know, and to where he is right now, it says a lot. You know, yeah. When yeah. you when you sit amongst the learning tree, yeah, I have you're to, I gonna, pause because it wasn't because I was I was sending someone that we're recording, but when you sit amongst the learning tree, you're gonna learn. You know what I mean? And this is where the value of a guy like the Undertaker when he speaks, you're gonna learn something. You know, you know. Um, <laughs> I mean, if we gonna throw it in there, Mark, we throw it in Mark, there, right? Mark, you mentioned earlier how Mark Henry. Is one of the most respected guys in the WWE. Why is that? Because longevity too. Longevity, and he listened and he learned. He sat amongst. Remember, he the had to go best. back to Jim Cornette and relearn the business. He said Jim Cornette bat shit crazy, but he he taught mm-hmm. me the business. So think about it. He learned the business and was able to become world champion after going back and learning the business mm-hmm. in his forties. And isn't that crazy? Right. And let's and, see how old Mark Henry and is. his and his. On and in his in his in his mentor on the road was the Undertaker. Yeah, so and the mentor has more respect for him. Right. And then the same thing with Big Show. Hogan was his mentor, but when Show went to That's the greatest WWE, failed, you know, forty seven. So we got the best of Mark Henry when he was doing that around two thousand. So around four thirty nine to mm-hmm. forty one. Yep. As I always say, we get the best of wrestlers in their forties. Yep. The best. You, people don't believe me. D- do the math. Hulk Hogan, NWO. We got the best. Steve Austin, um, The Rock, um, yep. Ric Flair. We yep. got some of Ric Flair's greatest shit. Especially Rowdy fucking Piper. Yep. Come on. Imagine and, if we would have got Jake Roberts in his forties without drugs. Now Piper, is, Piper's been wrestling since he was like 15, 16 years old. Right. So when you think about that, he had he you know he lasted long enough. Yep. And then still was respected all the way to the end, and mm-hmm. it's still imitated amongst the best. That's right. So when you sit there and you look at shit like that, I got you. You got to take your hats off. But yep. one thing I want to talk about, and this is something I experienced working for the film studio. He talked about traveling, yes. and how it was one time he clocked in two hundred and seventy days and thirty-five to forty days straight on the road. Mm-hmm. Now, working for the film studio, I'm going to say this: if a lot of men can't survive the travel, no matter who they are. Right. I love the traveling. 
Undertaker said there was one time he spent, thir- I wrote it down, 35 days, almost 40 days on the road. Mm-hmm. When I worked for the major studio, I remember doing 24 days exactly. Nine states, 24 days. Non-fucking-stop. Going, working, talking, negotiating, going. Nigga, I didn't get to enjoy nothing. I was dealing with a bitch at the time. We barely fucked on this trip. She worked for the studio. Wow. You get what I'm saying? So just imagine hitting every fucking state. Not counting the tri-state where we started off at. Right. Let's remove those states in those two days. So, okay, Jersey, Connecticut, New York, out of the picture. You're going west. Well, we, going we start off California, uh, San Francisco. Uh-huh. Uh, well, you start off in Los Angeles, then you hit San Francisco, right. then you would hit the Vegas market, yep. and then you would head on down to the Texas market to deal right. with those companies there. From Texas, you would hit, out, you would hit the Louisiana market. Mm-hmm. From the Louisiana market, you have to hit both Carolinas. Right. So the, you hit North, North, North and Carolina, South Carolina. Right. Then you would hit Miami. Yep. Um, no, excuse me. We would start from Washington State, okay. then to Cali. And then you hit Colorado because there's a lot of fucking companies there in the middle and stuff like that. Arizona, then you work your way down to Texas and shit. Mm-hmm. So there was sometimes you would hit states after states after states, and you're dealing with marketing. You're dealing with this. Film premieres in every fucking country. Yeah, thinking about going, think about going from the U.S. to China, and then from China to Japan, and then from Japan to certain parts of India, mm-hmm. and then you work your way back to the United States, and then by the time you get home, you got to clock in at nine o'clock in the morning in the office. Yeah, and then when I recently did the comic book thing with Off Girl, I did twenty days straight. I was moving that comic book to every fucking state. Philly, New York, LA, um, anywhere there was comic conventions going to be, I was bringing that comic book off and dropping off and coming back. The traveling alone, people, it's fun the first two days. Mm-hmm. Um, after day four, you're completely fucking burnt out. Yeah. You know, like my boy Justin just went to Japan. Day, day, day three, he was ready to come home. You know what's interesting? We'll chime in with um, when, when we work Comic Con, mm-hmm. right? Oh, yes, when you guys worked with me at Comic-Con. Tell me those four days didn't burn you out by Monday. Those four days had me fucked up. It looks simple when you're a fan. But when you're working, it's like, yo, Recording content, audio. Now, the first first two days was awesome doing the recording because I enjoy going around talking to people with that microphone in my hand and talking Mm, to folks. Which we're going to do next year again, but we're going to do it when they come to the booth instead. So now, here go, day three, I was like, Okay. Day I was four, done. you was waiting for that shit to be over. Day four, I was like, all right, cool. I can be a fan now. I can go enjoy this shit. Yeah, yeah. So, but imagine... um, But it's the work. You know what I mean? So, it's like, okay, yeah. from that aspect, I'm like, all right, cool. I can understand this. I, it's like, okay, I, I, I did... I would say I wrestled a, a, a double shot um, one day. Mm-hmm. Like, two, like, one day back to back from one, one, one another. When I did my debut match out of New Jersey, and then I come back and I wrestle at Arena Puerto Rico for AIWA in a tag match, you know what I mean? I thought I, oh, I thought I was the shit, but that's nothing compared to. So imagine, imagine four days of dealing with. So take the Comic Con madness and move it over. A hundred and plus thousand people that Mm -hmm. you're only going to interact with maybe fifty a day, right? Less than that. Over the course of four days, mm-hmm. and then imagine wrestling, and then someone coming up to you asking you for an autograph. Yes. Now, I'm going into this on purpose. 
And I had took the notes because Undertaker talked about a little bit about the fame. It's kind of hard to be unrecognizable and this, that, and the other, and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And the fame of wrestling, um, some people just want to be famous wrestlers. I never wanted to be a famous wrestler. You know what I wanted to do? I wanted to become the world champion. I did not give a buck. And I'm going to say this, also, and, I, and I understand Brock Lesnar. I don't give a fuck about a fan. I don't give a fuck about your emotional stance place. Um... I just didn't. I just wanted to be world champion, but I wanted to be good at what I did. Mm -hmm. And to me, world champion is like becoming vice president or president of a corporation. Right. You don't give a fuck about the fans, but you know you have to put a product out there. Yep. And I'm a because I'm a creative individual. To me, clip uh, putting out a positive product, not a positive, a complete product is better than worrying about interacting with the people. Right. That's me personally. Well, okay, I can understand that. For me, I've learned. Uh, the first thing in, in um, entertainment is that entertainers are human beings. I don't get starstruck. I had stopped being starstruck for one reason and one reason only. Try to get an interview with Mary J. Blige. I couldn't get through to it. No, you ain't going to get that. You know, and this was back in 1992. But people forget how many people you have to talk to to get to that one person. Now, let mm-hmm. me jump in here. There was something else he, he always... Um, he said the very important. I don't believe people should. I, no, this is me personally. I wrote. In my notes, I wrote, I personally don't believe people should bother celebrities. Leave the fucking celebrity alone. No questions asked. When What you paid for is what you got. You did not pay to run up on him and ask him for an autograph unless he's having an autograph signing. Right. I don't. I, I know a lot of uh, adult film stars. I know a lot of actors. I know a lot of models. I know a lot of this. They do not want to talk to you guys. If there's a paid signing, they tolerate you. Mm-hmm. But you're paying for their autograph and a small conversation. But if they're in the street, do not run up on them. Yeah. And Undertaker made that very clear in this interview. He kind of want to be, Left leave alone. me. You, you, when I walked down to the ring and you waved and you cheered and you screamed the name Taker or this, that, and the other, that was your moment. That's what you paid for. But when he is Mr. Mark Calloway, with his wife and, with his kids, wife and kids, or even if he's by himself, he does not owe you an autograph. And I 100% agree with that. He does not owe you a conversation. If you see adult film stars, if you see actors, if you see this, if you see that. Eminem said he was in the bathroom and someone stuck their hand under the fucking urine, under the toilet thing, and said, can you sign that? It's not the only celebrity who's been to that. Oh, then you man. wonder why they walk around with entourages and put themselves in a bubble world because they're trying to escape you. They lo- they know that you're their fan, mm-hmm. but you paid for the service and you got it. Everything outside of that belongs to them. And I right. think there's a 100% invasion of privacy yeah. when it comes to something like that. And just for a side note, it was at one point Mark Henry was going to end the streak because that's what Mark wanted. Wow. Versus the stat and the other. I think that was that's documented in the past. But um along with Kurt Angle and two other people that he wanted to end his streak before way before this whole streak thing was huge. Right. But long story short, you know, I can't argue with the Undertaker on that. You know, imagine that imagine that Comic Con value. You just perform, you're dealing with all the people, and all you want to do is get to your fucking car. And but go you can't. home or go go get a get a steak dinner or a burger or some shit. You yeah, just want to relax I've, and chill. Everyone and I know who's it. been on tour has said, yo, dog, by the fifteenth day I wasn't fucking with this. Imagine doing a fucking world tour and you're not home for six months straight. And the moment you get back, someone wanna fucking autograph, or you just fucking scream your lungs out through the roof. 
you need a fucking break. I'm not saying this fans shouldn't be fans. Right. What I'm saying is there's a treat, invisible line that they need to like start human honoring because they're they're human beings. Respect their space. Respect their privacy. That's why I say I don't get starstruck. Like when I see a celebrity, when I see uh, uh, or or an actor, or actress, regardless of the um the field that they're in. I see them, I wave, I keep it moving. Yeah. So also, Triple H, uh, not Triple H, Undertaker talked about his injuries towards the end, and mm-hmm. it was like over 20-something injuries. Hips, this, yes. that, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I remember, I, I wanted to bring up something to you because I remember, and I had wrote it down because I had, we were talking about the hips. Yes. About the figure four move and how mm-hmm. it's a little bit more dangerous than what the people look like, right. Right, based off of this, that, and the other. And you got brought up sciatica. You know what's, and I meant to tell you, you know what's the the, the, the 98 percentile people with sciatica? It comes from sitting down. And if you're sitting at a desk all day, you damage the L4, L5, S2, and S3. Based on your position in the while so sitting down. Right? You know what I meant? At one point, I was doing a desk job for a while, and Natasha was saying, Why are your ankles swelling up? I've never had that issue before. It literally came. From sitting down, and those are the first stages of sciatica. Wow! I did not know that. Um, in order for it to happen, but it's you, it's you sitting down. Your heart and stover, it crunches a certain um, vertebrae and creates that, and then that's when it begins. So imagine all of us who caught the people who caught sciatica probably didn't even know where it came from. Wow! And it comes from sitting down, and it's crazy that he was just talking about imagine being injured. You're sitting on a plane for four hours. You're sleeping five, four or five hours. You're sleeping upright. Then you get to the hotel. You're not sleeping properly. You got to get to the building by a certain time. You got to work out and go to the gym. I think WWE should have buses for their top 20 guys. They should work a bus deal into their contract. You're making billions of dollars. You want these guys to last long? Buy, every, buy at least the top 20 guys a bus and then group up two, three guys on a fucking bus. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I think it's just time to do that. But other than that, Undertaker had a... I brought up the sciatica thing because he had mentioned his list of injuries, and I was like, oh, let me write this down for Mark so he can know. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of us got wrestling injuries, and some of us got injuries that just show up from fucking everyday life. Exactly. So, you know, it's so crazy. It, it, I don't know, You forced me to do some research because I was like, I think I had that shit at one point. You know, and I had to I, go look. And I just, you know, was diagnosed with sciatica. You know, I remember that a while, not, a while. not too long ago. Yeah, because during I'm, your uh, fiasco, uh, your marriage, what well, we call beyond, beyond the fiasco, and then um, also amongst other things. Um, and you sat at a desk for a vet for, a, for over twenty years. Over tw- oh, actually, yeah, over twenty years I've done it. And then as a as a teacher's aide right now, you know, I sit at a desk, but, but then you I do also more moving around. Don't I maneuver you? around, right? Imagine if you would have had that for twenty years, you probably would have. None of that go. None of that would have ever probably showed up. It's no. so crazy. The human body is amazing. But Undertaker, I thank him for his service. I'm I'm not a fan. I'm a great supporter of his. Um, he's one of those guys that uh, you wish was as good as he was for the last twenty years. Right now, I can tune in and watch uh, about what Taker, and I will be entertained. Yeah. Um, I want to jump into because I know we spent a lot of time on the Taker stuff, but I want to talk about Kevin Nash. Okay, let's get into that. And um, let, I'm going to let you take it from here on the Kevin Nash thing. Even though I know what it is, well, I want you. With Nash, um, pretty much one of the things that, um, that was brought up in the interview that he did recently, he was talking about, um, one, um, something that I hold dear to my heart was the uh, constant pushing of a certain universal champion. Well, Roman Reigns. So, um, and one of the things was 
how many more times do you have to keep giving Roman Reigns the rub? And 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 it also that spins off of the conversation that him and Undertaker were both talk, Undertaker was both talk, talking about not together but in separate interviews. Longevity. Mm-hmm. None of those guys. And he's right. When I look at the whole WWE roster, there's no one I want to see 20 years from now except for Triple H. Surprise, Isn't that crazy? Surprisingly enough, I mean, like I and Kurt I, Angle and I. I'm not a I'm not a big Triple H fan, you know what I mean. I, personally, he's not even in my like my top ten for anything. But it's like when I see him, I'm like, all right, cool. Hunter's on. I'm a I'm a peep and see what he's gonna but do. But isn't it funny? What he you know Kevin Nash is right. Undertaker, you 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 pin the Taker. Mm-hmm. I think that was ten minutes too late. Right. All right. You 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 pin. Excuse me. He pins. He pins um Brock Lesnar. No, he pins in the summer and he pins Triple H. And it took Triple H to get him over and it only it took Vince to come out to get him over midway through. Mm-hmm. Vince did that shit in minutes with the right promo and all the interaction. And then Triple H did it at WrestleMania and it only lasted two weeks. And then it was back to when is this belt coming off of him. Right. And unfortunately, when you look at the list of superstars today. I know we're going to see Charlotte 20 years from now. Right. I know we're going to see AJ may last another 10 years if he doesn't re- mm-hmm. retire. I see Roman not being around in five years. I don't see Seth Rollins there. In t- I see Seth Rollins there 10 more years. Uh, yep. The New Day is coming to the end for them mm-hmm. in the next two years. Okay. Um. Let's be for real. This whole roster, we don't see nobody... Unless they really put some effort and time and emphasis on certain on that talent, then you can see it. You can see possibilities. Look at Brock. We see Brock being around for the next ten years, even if it's once or twice a year. Right. You know, you see that. So when you sit back and look at that, there's no one on this roster, and there's no disrespect for them out of the woman. Yes, Charlotte, mm-hmm. but there's no one on this roster that we see going for that amount of time. Right. That's going to be a twenty-year run. Look, The Rock's name is still on this fucking list. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? When you look at that, Steve Austin, if he didn't get rich, uh, injured, we would have probably seen Austin into the late 2010, 11, physically in the what, ring. Look, look at Jerry Lawler. Well, you don't look for Jerry Lawler, but, but you know he's part of the ecosystem, right? But John he's there. Cena, we, we, we know he's going to be around for another ten years. Mm-hmm. Um, these guys, you get what I'm saying? Yeah. We're not looking for how many times, how long did we want Kurt Angle to return to WWE? We've been waiting for ages for him because that's where we know Kurt Angle to be. Yeah, he's so, a WWE guy. He is a WWE made but, man. But again, we wouldn't be upset if he sold up in New Japan and gave us five more matches. Which he's done. You know what I mean? Shelton Benjamin's a pretty good hand, but mm, you're not, not gonna, checking for you're not checking for him. Right. You know, he's they're not gonna they're not seeing it there. Right. But Nash is right. How many you gave this guy the rub ten times. You've tried to push the shield again. That's falling apart. Yep. You've damaged fucking. You're damaging um, Braun. And then he also going on to say, "Who do you, do you really want to see Finn Balor in the main event?" Yeah. So when when you sit back, you don't. At one point we did, but that ended when he never got his. Re- he should have been wrestling Brock immediately. Even if you squashed him, yep. he should have got that Brock match. So long story short, when you when you take what Undertaker. Because this episode is about the Undertaker's thoughts and Kevin Nash uh, thoughts towards the end. Kevin Nash and Undertaker are saying the truth. They're not lying. And these guys' bodies, uh, the way they're doing moves in the ring, um, 
I got a good thing for wrestlers, and I'm not calling them stupid. Keep it simple, stupid. You know, and, and less is more. Mm-hmm. And whatever you say, it's the guys who got eight moves. As I've said on a podcast before, narrow your move set down to six to eight. Even AJ Styles narrowed himself down. Yep. AJ might have bought himself five more years, maybe mm-hmm. maybe ten more years. Yeah. Because he's narrowed down what he's doing. And he's he's mastery, he's mastered the art of getting what he did done. Daniel Bryan may last another ten years as well mm-hmm. because he's he's was forced to narrow it down and to start working that a a a, a, a proper pace. It's yeah. not a slow pace, a proper pace space. Pace, excuse you know, me. No, he could do those things within the WWE style and have a fruitful career. Yeah. So that's pretty much it. So Mark, again, another great episode. Hey, man, you know how I go, brother. You know, we this praise ourselves good. before anyone else does. That's the way we do it. <laughs> yep, that's the way it is, man. Yeah. That's just the way it is. But, um, ladies and gentlemen, this is episode 32 of Wrestlers with Experience, where we have talked about The Undertaker's interview mm-hmm. with, what's the gentleman's name? Uh, With Pastor Ed Young. With Pastor Ed Young, and we talked about a little bit about what Kevin Nash was saying because it coincided along with what Undertaker was saying. Don't forget to download and subscribe. We are fixing our YouTube channel as we speak. We yep. were putting this in smaller intervals with the proper video clips and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. We thank you guys so much for listening. Um... We'll put our social media links in the description. Follow us. Email us at teamddod at gmail.com. And when you get a chance, just type in Dietrich Davis on demand and follow any podcast that you see under that. Yes. We're we're pumping out um, loads of content. Mark also has that music a, project coming soon. That, a large music project Ooh-wee. coming that we start filming in the next week or two. Yes. Well, next week, excuse me, because I already got Studios Place booked. And we've all, we just got a giant visual project coming mm-hmm. along. That we want you guys to be supportive of, and we know music and wrestling go one and one. Sure do. So we want you to support it, and trust me, it won't be as bad as what's his name's album, uh, Michael Hayes. Remember, he released the <laughs> album. That shit was Triz Nye Ash. Well, you know, he was it was um, catering to his audience. Yeah, no one. So okay, so I want to just <laughs> uh, thank you guys for listening. We appreciate you. <laughs>